Welcome to The Sword and the Trowel, a podcast of Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of churches. I'm Jared Longshore. And I'm Tom Askell. Thanks for listening to The Sword and the Trowel today. And uh, we have really exciting news. By What Standard is now on YouTube. On YouTube. For free. So it's, you can share it. You can share it around. And uh, no better time to do it. Uh, the nation's being ripped apart. And it's being ripped apart by cultural Marxism. So watch By What Standard intersectionality, yeah. all that stuff. Yeah, help, help people understand why the things that are happening are happening. And By What Standard is in a format that folks can sit down and watch it. They can watch it in stages. They can watch it all together. Churches have shown this to their congregations with great benefit and profit. Mm-hmm. So we encourage you to go to our YouTube channel. And by the way, when you're there, go ahead and subscribe to that YouTube channel. That helps us to be able to, to have greater access to more people and share by what standard? Yes. Too strong on saying the culture, the nation's being ripped apart by cultural Marxism? Well. Too direct? No, it's not too direct. It may be uh, not nuanced enough because there's a lot of postmodernism in there as well. I mean, cultural Marxism is there. But, yeah, we got a lot of other bad mojo. Those are in twins. That. Those are buddies, right? Well, yeah, they serve each other. and they, they have served each other very effectively in the last couple of decades. They are. And By What Standard is not only free on YouTube to watch, but the unedited interviews are now available to our fan members. Now, so unedited. That means you're getting the full interview. You mean what showed up in By What Standard wasn't the full interview of everybody we sat down with? Right. No, they were longer than that. And there were some people that didn't make it into the uh, By What Standard film that are now They're available. also in there. So Where? you can, uh, you got to join the fam to get access to all of that. And that is the Founders Alliance membership. And you need to come in. I think it's a, the the top two tiers. I know it's a sword, sword and I'm not sure the second one is a shield or the trowels at the bottom, I think. So at any is rate, it? if you come in at the top two, you're going to get access uh, to, no, 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 that's not true. I'm confused. You are very confused. You can join the fam and gain access to the armory, which has all these things. We'll be putting more Bible studies on there as well. Uh, But all the unedited uh, interviews will be there from the uh, thing that we did when we put together by what standard. What you're talking about, however, is another special. I'm talking about the hoodie. Sorry. He's talking about. You have to join at the top two levels to get the hoodie. That is not riot gear. It's not riot gear. It could be. It does have a hoodie. Now wear it inside out that's if you're going to Antif- protest it. All right? That's not wear Antifa gear, okay? <laughs> it's not for joining Antifa and throwing any kind of stones, but, but, but it is, is really cool. Now, and we're doing this in June because we felt like everybody would, in, especially in Florida, would need a hoodie in June, right? Yes. Um, <laughs> this is for our northern friends that want to join the fam. You get a free uh, Know Your Roots 1689 hoodie. That's only for the month of June. So if you join in June, you're going to get access to that. And that's in addition to everything else you already get when you join the fam. There's all kinds of stuff you join. So Go to founders.org, go to the fam, look at the list. You get all kinds of cool stuff there. Hey, um, I've already mentioned the nation's being torn apart. Everybody is talking about what's going on. Um, I was at a wedding this past weekend, and everybody just standing around saying what in the world has happened uh, in our nation. And so we wanted to address that today. And we're going to take this in two segments here. In the first part, we want to talk about the rise of the new religion, what really is going on, the religious impulse behind everything that we're seeing. And then in the second section, we want to deal with how Christians can advance, how Christians can shepherd uh, in the midst of the rise of this new religion. Mm -hmm. And I've gathered through conversations even at that recent wedding and then uh, conversations with uh, extended family members that this is a moment to understand really what's happening. This ideology we've been talking about for a very long time as you're watching things in the streets happen, as you're watching governmental leaders do certain kinds of things. I think the Minneapolis Police Department is deciding, Los not Los Angeles the, Police Department. The Minneapolis uh, City, City Council, Council is yeah. deciding whether to tell their police. To, they've decided, I think. Have they already voted on this? Well, I think they, they've got a supermajority that have uh, can veto, pledged themselves. And can veto power, like if the mayor The mayor has no veto power. Okay. Yeah. So at any rate, you, you're seeing all these things happen. And... I'm convinced that there's a lot of Christians that are trying to decide where to stand right now. And so we need to go back to Scripture and think. A, a very key text would be, if Baal is God, serve him. If Yahweh is God, serve him. But choose this day whom you will serve. Exactly. Until you see it in those terms, then you're not going to be able to operate Christianly in this moment. And I'm watching a lot of Christian leaders that that don't know what to do right now and are even um, in, in danger of, you know, kind of, winking at the rioters right. they're, they're not condoning it fully you know but it's like well they're expressing themselves and we need to do and if you're on that kind of ground that to me is a sign that either you have already been discipled by this 
false worldview, or you at least don't know what's going on, and you're a conduit that that Christians that we love and care about and want to shepherd well are going to get caught up in through your teaching, and you're going to get caught up into a worldview that we believe is contrary to Christ. Exactly. You know, we, we have been getting uh, messages, emails, phone calls over the last several weeks, or especially probably the last 10 days, from folks saying, thank you so much for the content you've been putting out and for the way you've been addressing this because we don't know what to think. We, we, we felt like we were in a different world. And Founders has been doing that. We, we've been doing this for the last couple of years or so. I mean, for at least two years, we have been publicly saying that what is going on in this woke church movement, what's going on in the social justice movement, not everybody in it, but what's going on is a new religion, mm-hmm. a different religion than biblical Christianity. Right. And that's hard. That's hard for Christians to come to that, those terms. But if we don't come to see it that way, we're not going to take the stands we need to take, and we're not going to, to live the way God's called us to live. You know, I'm reminded of what happened in the early part of the 20th century in America with the uh, inroads of liberalism to the mainline denomination here. And it was Machen and others with him who recognized what was happening. And Machen, in his book on liberalism, which is a a great book that you ought to read, everybody ought to read, he says, we need to see this not as a version of Christianity. This is an altogether different religion. And we're not facing the same kind of liberalism today. It's Mm -hmm. more pragmatism. And as you mentioned, it's neo-Marxism, postmodernism that has come in. And just like the liberalism of the early 20th century, however, it uses Christian vocabulary, but it doesn't use a Christian dictionary. It doesn't use the Bible meaning for Bible words. And so our folks, Christian people, are being set up to be easily taken advantage of, to be played because they hear justice, they hear compassion, they hear love, they hear care for your neighbor, love your neighbor, serve each other. You know, they they hear uh, the, the parables of Christ used in ways to justify this agenda of this social justice religion. And they think, oh, well, I'm a Christian. I believe the Bible. Yeah. Yes. There's so many people that are there. There's so many people that are there, and, and rightfully so. It makes sense to me. I mean, not all of our Christians are pastors or church leaders, and they're going to look at the world, and while many of the people I know are going to look and say, well, rioting, I mean, this is just insane that people would do this, they're going to say, well, there's still a point to this, right, yeah. and we need to do justice, and we need to care for the oppressed, and all of that is true. But Christian leaders are going to have to be the ones that, that display what's going on, and, and, and it is tricky, and we've called it a uh, we've called it a, by a number of names. We've called it a religion. We've called it a philosophy. Trying to put some meat on the bone with that is it's 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 a Romans one kind of thing. It's mm-hmm. where people have turned to worship the creature rather than the creator. So man is now God, but it's it's done in a societal way. It's not just like an individual man is God and everybody's bowing down to him. But it's kind of like all of us together are God. And then if you buy into that idea, what well, well, what needs to happen? There's got to be this great equality that happens Mm -hmm. between all peoples, male, female, black, white, right now, uh, with the death of George Floyd, what has been hijacked, rather than doing justice as a nation with that particular case, which we should have done justice. And we can have... It's happening. It's happening. And we can absolutely look into to um, racism in that case. If you haven't saw how we're trying to address this, you can go back. We've done, uh, we addressed the Ahmaud Arbery uh, murder and we addressed the George Floyd murder in the recent podcast as well. But what we're trying to show is that that has, that, that real grievous situation has been hijacked here to where people are saying now um, you're seeing this, this worldview take shape. So what's happened is since black people have been oppressed and are oppressed, what we need is there needs to be some kind of movement some kind of Hegelian dialectic where you you shift over. And so you're actually watching. You can see the religious nature of this by white people who are now bowing down in the streets, kneeling down. There was a police officer, I don't know, the chief chief of police who recently in, yeah, Western Massachusetts or prostrated himself yeah. before at some kind of Black Lives Matter movement. Um, I saw a video of a woman where a man ran up on her and said, you know, I'm here for Black Lives Matter and you need to, <laughs> you need to bow kneel down. down. Yeah. And I think he's a white guy. And he's saying, you know, you need to kneel down. Um, and for your and white apologize. privilege, and she does. I, mean, so she I don't know how. To, I don't down. know what words to use. You know, it's yeah. the saddest thing to see. You're watching. There's a number of these. It's, 
that I would want to keep highlighting to help people see. Remember the Passover thing? Remember that uh, where they they said you know if you don't oh, want yeah, your, yeah, yeah, yeah. if you don't want your right. store um, minority owned rated yeah. right minority owned or black owned or something yeah. and and then somebody has pointed out that there's a Passover principle. It's like when Israel you'd put the blood of the lamb over the over the yeah. door and then the the angel of death would would um, go over there. You know these things are going on, Jared, and, and the examples are almost endless. And you do have Christian leaders trying to speak on it, and you know we we must speak on it. But some of the things that are being said are uh, they're not just vacuous; they're dangerous. Um, I watched this video that was put out by the North American Mission Board, the Sin Network. They had three pastors on there, you know, and they're they're doing their best to talk about it. But they start with the premise coming from a quote from Martin Luther King Jr. that rioting is the voice of those who have been unheard. And so make this statement, this is our premise, that before you look at what's being done, you must ask, why are they doing it? Mm -hmm. Why are they doing it? That it's a lack of moral reasoning. It's a lack of, it it shows a a inability to take the Bible seriously enough that you reason from scripture to reality. And so they, they assume this quote's great and they begin to apply that. Well, apply that to the police officer, Mm -hmm. you know, apply that to, to Derek Chauvin who put his knee on uh, George Floyd. So we don't look at what he did. We need to ask, why did he do that? Well, there, nobody's going to do that. It wouldn't be right to do that. And, and it grieves me that this is going on with Christian leadership. And it shows, I'm not saying these guys are you know practicing a pagan religion, but it shows how effective the discipleship mm-hmm. of this pagan religion has been in our society, such that even Christian leaders can be led astray thinking they're being biblical because they quote Bible verses, while in reality they're playing right into the hands of this different worldview. One more thing. You and I have talked about this, but I don't think we can say it enough. If any Christian, pastors, anybody, think that they are beyond being duped in that way, they just hadn't read their Bible seriously enough. Peter confessed Christ, and then Christ said to him, get behind me, Satan. Peter was led astray when the uh, Jews from Jerusalem came down and he decided he better not sit by the Gentiles and eat with them anymore. And Barnabas mm-hmm. was led astray. Look, if these leaders of the church could be duped, who are we to think that we're beyond being played by the devil who's always working to try to attack and undermine and destroy the work of Christ? The majority of evangelical leadership's response to the current unrest, uh, in my estimation, has been to somehow, you could call it playing the middle, or you could call it um, superficial Christian words layered over the situation. I don't believe that many people understand what's really going on. Uh, There's some people, I think, that understand what's going on, and they're even trying to advance some, some bad stuff. Right, right. But the vast majority of people know that if they step into this space and they begin to speak truth, you're kind of, you're kind of, kind of be in a situation that you were, we were in when we did, um, by what standard, you know, I've got friends that I know that have by God's grace through conversations that they look back and I've explained to them why we did what we did, that we're not misogynist, that we're not homophobic, <laughs> that we're not racist. And you know, oh, like, good. I, I, I didn't know. I mean, I, everybody's saying that you are, and I was participating in all yeah. that too. It's, it's, everybody knows that. I mean, they know that that, if you say something about this, and so what's so scary is as soon as you get into a situation, as soon as you get into a conversation, um, we have assumed everything that CNN and Fox have told us is true. And okay, well, you know, here we're, you can't question that those presuppositions Mm -hmm. and therefore you start to just enter into the conversation talking about justice, talking about equality, talking about uh, righteousness and talking about love of neighbor. And it's all done from the perspective of this worldview that's advancing, which is Mm -hmm. cultural Marxism or neo-paganism. You could add a whole lot of ism, secular humanism, uh, but it's a, it's a worldview that is not, doesn't fit with Christianity. So the problem is when evangelical leaders are doing that, even if they're, even if they're, not condoning the worst of this side. There's this tendency of, well, you know, this stuff's really bad over here, but this stuff's really bad over here, and here I'll play the middle. And yeah. they're just doing this like, it's like a tie. Back when I played sports, he says, like, kissing your sister. It's like you're playing this kind of middle ground that is going to be a, a pathway for people to get some really bad stuff. Yeah. We cannot compromise what God has said without horrible consequences. 
And I, I think sometimes that is happening. I'm not suggesting even consciously that it's going on. But people will downplay, and especially some Christian leaders are speaking out today, they'll downplay what God says over here or just assume it in order to say things over here that will gain them applause from the world. And so they use the words like justice and love your neighbor and compassion and those types of things. But whenever you begin to uh, take what the world says about those things, and speak as if you're in agreement with them, when if pressed, you'd have to say, oh, no, you know, no, that's not what I mean. You're already losing because mm-hmm. you are uh, leaving undefined or unclarified what God has said, which his word is the, the only place where we have the revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves sinners. And so if you compromise on that, you are choking off the only real help that is available to people. And it sounds good. You gain a lot of of status in today's climate, but you are actually harming people. I'll never forget something I heard Adrian Rogers say years and years ago uh, during the whole conservative resurgence of the SBC. He said, you know, I would rather be thought cruel while being loving than be thought loving while being cruel. And I'm concerned that there's a lot of leaders today who don't Mm -hmm. believe that or don't think that way. And so we're set up to being emotionally manipulated by people who say, look at my pain. Look, look how I've been offended. Look how I've been mistreated. Therefore, you must Mm -hmm. rather than saying, "Okay, what does the Bible say about dealing with pain and and oppression and mistreatment. And what does the Bible say about those who are in the midst of people who are experiencing that? Yeah. Um, this, um, the fight that we're in is so deep and it's so big that if people are just tapping into this conversation for the first time, we need to put them onto some other resources. So we have a number of things. Oh, Founders, yeah. ethnic Gnosticism is a sermon that Vody Bauckham uh, gave uh, at a conference a, a while back. Ago, that yeah. You can find that on our YouTube channel. Um, you might be able to find it on founders.org as well. Uh, he's given a sermon on racial reconciliation that's very good. I wrote a recent piece um, called Pagan America Dressed in Christianity that's trying to show how uh, this worldview is masquerading as some kind of holy endeavor, but mm-hmm. really it's vacuous. You recently did one about the, a form of godliness that denies mm-hmm. its power. Do you remember the title of that? Yeah, it had uh, a virtue signaling or something is the new a form of godliness without the power. I forget the exact title, yeah, but it's yeah. on founders as well. Now, the statement on social justice and the gospel yeah. that came out nearly two years ago and got excoriated by some of the people that are now not doing so well trying to lead evangelicals through this, and yet some people have begun to realize, oh, so that's why you did that statement. Right. So, yeah, go there, read the articles that are there. Uh, that could be very helpful as well. Yeah, so the... Uh, to summarize our first section here, and when we come back from this break, we're going to get into how to actually lead and how to shepherd for words to husbands and fathers on how to care for your families during this time. But you really do have to see that there is a worldview, there is a philosophy, there is a religion that is on the advance in America. Mm-hmm. There is no doubt in my mind that that is the case. And look at some of these. Some of this is Christians kind of have to up up their game on symbol and on um even art, things that you see demonstrated in the world. God is the God of providence. And so he is, he's the one who's orchestrating these things. So when you see some kind of thing that echoes scripture, like, hey, right, you're a minority owned and in the, in the judgment will pass over you. Or wash the feet of the protesters. Wash the feet of the protesters, which just happened. Or these chants and these call and responses. Mm-hmm. And when you see guilt and shame and this kind of, um, you know, you acknowledge this, you bow down, mm-hmm. you kiss the ring, and then you're brought in, right, to this other side. Or, or, or black trans lives matter. Like, why? Mm-hmm. I got a lot of, we have black people in our church. What does being black have to do with being trans. Right. Well, you know, a lot of people are looking at it going, nothing. So what in the world's going on? Well, let that be an opportunity to go, there's an actual worldview here. Mm-hmm. And then if you spend time trying to figure out what's the relationship between black uh, and trans, you're going to be introduced to intersectionality. Mm-hmm. And if you're introduced to intersectionality, you're going to be introduced to cultural Marxism and postmodernism. And you're going to be introduced into a way of viewing the world that is in the pursuit of some kind of utopian, perfect equality that is untethered from scripture right. entirely. And then you're going to start to see uh, when when things are said. This is you know I, in my recent article I I 
pointed out uh, that Danny Aiken had written an open letter. And I texted Danny and told him, and uh, he's my brother in Christ, but I'm concerned about the kind of language. He, he starts by saying we're not going to politicize it. And then in the next next language, he's saying lobby for people that are going to promote, I think it's equal representation, and vote for people that are going to do the same. But the problem is equal representation of what? You're right, exactly. E- this, is the, exactly. this is the part of this whole other agenda. If you're just leaving it as some nebulous, do, you, do we want, are we saying like we want 50% of our congressional leaders to be black and 50% of our congressional leaders to be white? Or are we going to do it based on the nation? So is it like 13% black people in America, 75% white people in America? Is that equal representation in Congress? Is it in CEOs in our in our cities downtown? Do we want 13% of the CEOs to be black and 13%? Well, we, people say we want an equal voice. We want, we want a place at the table. Well, how do you measure that? Does that mean we need 13% of our faculty at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary to be black and 75% of them to be white? Is that equal representation or is it 50-50? Is it in leadership? We have an executive committee of the SBC. Do we need 17% of those people to be black and 75% of those people to be white? What is equal representation? Right. Is it presidents in schools, superintendents? My mother's a superintendent. And do we need that many black and whites? That whole... It doesn't make any sense it, it, it from does. the from the Christian understanding of how you operate in the world. We we want competency. We yeah. want people that are competent, and I don't care. I mean, let's just go back to MLK. I know we're upset about the MLK conference, but I do like uh, judging somebody by the content of their character rather than the color of their skin. Right, and, and that way of thinking, it, it is so superficial because it automatically assumes that a person's skin tone can be used to uh, think about how to, they will represent in the world, how mm-hmm. they think, how they act. Um, one of the blessings God's given us here at uh, Grace Baptist Church, you know, we, we have a, a Latin American elder, we have a, a black elder, and then we have you know me, and then you white You're guys. You're half white. <laughs> That's right. You're half right. white. Let's point so, out. You're half white, quarter Syrian. No, I'm half, yeah, quarter Syrian and one-eighth American Indian and one-eighth African American. So, you know, I've, I've got I ought to be like the intersectional king. We've got all of our quotas That's met right, yeah. in our eldership. Yeah. And we had to go back to, so we haven't labored for this. People like the golden calf of so many young men planting churches is to have their church represent their city. Oh, yeah. It's like ethnically, like that's the key. Oh, no, no, it's not that. Our church must be look like what it looks like in heaven. Yes, so I, I know. Say, where, are where are you going to get your Lebanese? Where are you going to get your Guyanese? So we, we don't. Um, spend a lot of time thinking about that. We no. preach the the Bible and we love the people that come. Yeah. But one day I ran stats and it was hilarious that the stats like match up exactly to where from like from Hispanic to black to America to to white we did those three. How many uh, half Syrian uh, Native? I know you're successful. <laughs> but here, um, when I, I was going to say that this Nam video I referenced earlier, you know, I, I asked Don, our African American elder, if he would watch it and just give me his feedback because you know I'm, I'm got blind spots. And it was just, you know, praise God. I mean, he sees it the same way. Why? Uh, He's black. I'm white. Shouldn't we see these things differently? No. We're reading the same book, Mm -hmm. and we're trying to think carefully from the book to the world. And that's going to happen. That doesn't mean we're all going to see things exactly the same way, dot our I's, cross our T's. But if we are people submitted to the book, does it stand to reason that we ought to have uh, a vision of the world and a way of thinking that is similar regardless of our race, regardless of our ethnic background? Absolutely. That's the whole point of of Ephesians chapter 2. And this is what's getting lost today. Oh, no, no, we got to have this many Jews. we got to have this many Gentiles. Because if we don't, we're not being diverse. Now, what we need is real Christians who are competent, who have moral character based on the Scripture, and who are willing to take a stand on that Scripture, regardless of what their so-called tribes might think. And that that point, that sociological point is connected to a spiritual impulse, to a religious impulse, to an ethical understanding of the world. And that's that's so crucial. I mean, if I could get any message across to our listeners right now, and if our listeners go, we get it, we've watched it, then I'd say share it. Then yeah, share, absolutely. Share this one with family because there's an opportunity here as we're watching the chaos to see the religion to see this and then to see when 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 evangelical leaders just use this language that sounds nice go wait what's going on if it's yeah. not going to be defined then we're afraid that this is then you might not see what's going on yeah. in, in this case and here here's here's the question that you ought to ask whenever people start telling you should and ought and this is the way it is oh really by what standard That's a good synodogue. All right, when we come back, we're going to address how that we can or how we can advance Christianity even while this false religion begins to advance in our society.
And I can assure you, I don't want to go the way of any organization that says, we think critical race theory and intersectionality are good tools to use. And the folks that want us to believe that, uh, they got, I, they're going to have to do a lot of explaining to me to convince me because I just don't, I, I think it was disingenuous. Can you use them for analytical tools? Yeah, they've been used, used for that. Is that the way most people use them today? Not at all. Not at all. Welcome back to this part of the Sword and Trial podcast. And uh, now we want to talk about some practical application. We looked at some of the theology and the principles behind what's going on in our nation today, how Christians should be thinking about it, evaluating it, recognize it in terms of a pagan religion that is fueling the fires of much of what we're seeing. So how should pastors respond and how should uh, heads of households respond? How should husbands and fathers shepherd their families? Now we know that there are people listening to us. We have them in our church, uh, ladies that do not live in a home with a husband or a father. And so they have to deal with these issues in a different light. So would single men to some degree, but everybody needs to be thinking this way. And if you have responsibility that God has given you in the church, in the home, then you have a responsibility to lead those under your care to think this way. So that would be true for a single mother, a single dad as well. But we just want to talk about principally how pastors should shepherd churches through this, how husbands and fathers should try to shepherd their families. The the first thing I'd point people to is, is understand. So we've said there's a new religion on the rise, but I would want to emphasize as you try to um, advance Christianity and shepherd through these times. Know that this didn't happen overnight. Right. So you're dealing with something that's been around for a long time. Uh, go back and look at a little bit of the roots of education in our land. Go back and look at a little bit of John Dewey and just understand the pragmatism that happened there. And then go back and understand the 1960s. Understand the pill. Understand, and that is the um, pill that ladies take to, in order not to have children. Just birth control in general. Look at that. Look at the sexual revolution of the 1960s. Look at what happened with um, what happened with the 1960s legislation, uh, black-white dynamics at that time. Um, and, and that's going to help you see some of the underlying principles of what's happening now. Because mm -hmm. in some ways, what's happening now is just the, the, the bite of the worldview that's been around really since the 60s. You can trace it back further. But if you, if you see that you're playing kind of a long, uh, there, there's been a, long manifestation of, of this kind of thinking, that's going to help you not to be frantic. Mm -hmm. This isn't about like some conspiracy theory or, you know, this is just happening right now. So the point is, it's not going to be a quick response. Whatever you do, there's going to have to be some structural changes in your home and in your church. And, and then don't, don't think only play defense. So Rod Dreher uh, wrote a book, maybe a a couple of years ago, a few years yeah, ago yeah. now, called the Benedict Option, and there's a lot of good in that book, but there was this sense of it was it had a lot more retreat in it yeah. than who's wanting to preserve certain things. Um, and Saint Benedict did as he pulled away into the monastery, but I, I don't think that I think you need some of that, but you need to think about building something that's better. So yeah. very often I'm thinking in my home how to build the thing that is good and right. So in my home we do real justice, we have real equality, we have real love, and then the kids look at this other stuff and they go, oh, that's silly, that's yeah. craziness. And, and let's start with pastors, the church that we lead, man. We, pastors, we, we have to recognize that every church has a culture. And to a large degree, the culture of the church is going to follow or be led or help be built primarily by the leadership of the church. Mm -hmm. And so with your leadership, make sure that you're not just assuming the scripture, but take the scripture seriously. Read the Bible. Read the Bible in your, your gatherings with your leadership. Read the Bible in your worship services. Now, I know the pandemic has had churches shut down, and there will be folks listening to this whose churches still are not meeting, and, and that's difficult. But if you're doing things online, read the Bible. Just read it out loud. If you read something like Psalm 2, meditatively and look at the four different scenes of Psalm 2 and see how God responds from heaven to all of the plans of the kings and authorities on earth that say, we're going to cast the bonds of the Lord away from us. The Lord in heaven laughs. 
he laughs. And so we mm-hmm. read the Bible, show the relevance of the Bible to what's happening today and get our people, uh, help our people to start thinking of living by the Bible, taking God at his word. Because this, this, the real battle in every Christian's mind in every day is to live by faith. Take God at his word. And you're always, you're being discipled every day to believe and act on the basis of these things. And the scripture says, this is what is true. This is what God has said. Are we going to believe God? Are we going to believe our experience, our inclinations, or these other disciples that are speaking into us? Yes. And very practically on that note, sing psalms. So create a culture in your church where psalms are sung. They're, they're, it's the word of God. I mean, what, what a wonderful thing that we can sing the very word of God, the word that he has prescribed for his saints to sing. And, and it's going, uh, many of the psalms, you know, you don't, you're, what modern evangelical tune or song do you know that talks about, you know, Jesus will break them with a rod of iron? It's like mm-hmm. we don't sing those kinds of things. And so when you're singing the Psalms, you're like, whoa. Yeah, you know, the, he, he God's a little different heaven. than what we typically think. Yes. And so it's just, just a sign that some of the songs that we sing, um, there's lots that's good in, in our recent um, hymn singing. But some of it is is actually has a bit of this residue on it. It's kind of, there's there's a self-centeredness to many of our songs mm-hmm. where uh, if you sing a song that, that's really untethered from my personal experience, you need a lot of those, we have a lot of those, but something that's just in, like a prayer of adoration, a song of adoration. It's about God, it's about who God is, it's about his majesty, his glory, mm-hmm. his power, about his works in creation, about his works in salvation history in the world. And if you sing those kinds of things and even emphasize those truths in your preaching and you notice that some people are starting to go, but what, what about, what about me? I don't know that my needs are being met here. Mm -hmm. I don't know that, you know, that's a sign that you need to disciple people up into a way of thinking because you can have a moralistic therapeutic deism set in where there's really, it's about um, some kind of therapy that I'm receiving every time I come together with the saints. And that's really the key thing that's driving all of this. Yeah. A good way to kind of judge where people are is just read some verses of scripture that can sound like the very offensive things that uh, set people off today. You know, you read verses about wives be submissive to your husbands as to the Lord. Just read it out loud. Uh, slaves uh, be submissive to your masters. You know, it, read those verses. If people get offended at those verses, then that's a signal. Okay, mm-hmm. they've been discipled over here more effectively than they've been discipled by the Word of God. I think, too, worship is crucial. Gathered worship is crucial. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's been seen as optional. And I think quite honestly that uh, maybe a lot of pastors and churches, we, we may have been played by our government through this whole pandemic with COVID-19, not to say it's not real, it is real. But I think too quickly, we have given up on that, which the scripture teaches us is essential for Christian living. So if you're not worshiping back together yet, you know, pray and work toward getting there. And when you're back together, take seriously what's going on. I mean, because whenever we enter into worship, it is spiritual warfare. We're coming together and we're declaring the lordship of Jesus Christ over this whole world, over all the unseen principalities and powers. We're, We're making a statement. So read his word, sing his word, pray his word, pastoral prayers. Man, what an opportunity to pray about the things going on in the nation. Pray for the civil authorities. We've been instructed to do that. What do you pray? Well, we pray that God will save them and God will give them wisdom and help them to be merciful in decisions that they make and give them good counsel. All those right and and proper things the scripture speaks to. Pray about the wickedness in society. Pray about Christians that are in particularly difficult circumstances and ask God to help us to respond Mm -hmm. as people who believe in the God who raises the dead. We disciple people through praying, not because we're praying to them, but we're giving them a glimpse into as God teaches us as pastors to pray and what to think and how to approach God in prayer, we're helping shepherd our people to think this way too. The more we do that, the onslaught of news and media that comes to our people will have less impact. So that, those are some practical things that can happen Sunday by Sunday. Yeah, but pastoring, uh, there needs to be a shift in the way many um, uh, American conservative pastors operate in the sense that they cannot, they cannot simply have this vision that, 
really my job is is just anything that's going to touch upon these narrow scope of things, maybe dealing with um, the church or dealing with just shepherding kind of work. And then there's this whole world out there that is off limits to me that I just kind of let people make mm-hmm. up their minds. I let them be discipled by the news cycle and all of that stuff. So I, I think there needs to be a broadening uh, in the pastor's mind. He needs to be aware of, of that, that Jesus Christ is Lord of heaven and earth, and therefore everything that your people are doing, you, you, what you're going to preach to them and teach to them is going to have implications for everything that they do in their lives. Mm-hmm. So uh, one of the dangers on the other end is you start to, you know, you can become legalistic you can, in your applications. You know, all of a sudden you can start saying that certain kind of, you know, you can start saying, well, I know what kind of fingernail polishes are right for the ladies and what kind of fingernail polishes are wrong for the ladies. They shouldn't wear fingernail polish. What are you talking about? Exactly. You can get off, you can go places you shouldn't, but I don't think that's the primary error. I think right now there's that guys don't know. So even the COVID thing, you know, be like easy to just go, well, there's just experts that know about what to do here. And I'm not going to really engage on this. And, Mm -hmm. but it's connected to everything. COVID COVID has been connected to government. What Romans 13 means, what it doesn't mean has been connected to families, how they operate has been connected to fear and anxiety. It's been connected to love of neighbor. So there's anything that's happening in the world. The pastor has to be aware of that applying it to vocation, applying the word of God to education, uh, applying the word of God to relationships in the home. What does manhood and womanhood look like? There's a number of issues. Politics, you know, people want to say, well, stay out of politics. Well, you, you, you really can't. <laughs> stay, out of, stay out of the wrong kind of politics. I mean, don't go crazy. Think rightly about uh, it. Just think rightly about it and then teach about it, disciple about it, get into the lives of your people as they're going to live in the world. Yeah, I, I think a couple of other crucial areas for pastors to really go to school on right now is church-state relationships. And we've heard a lot about Romans 13, especially in the early days of the pandemic, but somebody ought to read Romans 13 and 1 Timothy 2. You know, we, we ought to at least read the words out loud so that we know what is being said, mm-hmm. what's not being said. And very often what we're being told it means is not being said in those passages. But then when you're in Romans 13, go ahead and read Romans 14, 1 through 5, and see what the scripture has to say about Christian liberty, at least part of it. And recognize that your people, the people we shepherd in our church are going to be at different places. Some of them in this area are going to have a weaker conscience than others. Now, when it comes to eating meat or something else, their their consciousness may be stronger, and that's the way it works in the Christian life. But we are to show great grace Mm -hmm. to those who don't see things exactly the way we do. So in our church, when we started meeting back together, uh, some came with masks, some didn't. Some sit in designated areas where they have lots of social distancing. Some didn't. Some shake hands. Some didn't. Mm-hmm. And, and that's fine. Nobody should be judging each other. And it should be on the basis of what the Word of God teaches us about the liberty of the conscience, especially in these areas that are gray and we don't have black and white definitive answers to with the novel virus. We've got to train our folks to think. And then law and gospel. Yeah law and gospel. I mean, we need to measure what's happening in our day by what God says is right, what God says is wrong, and then what God says about the remedy for this world in every situation and every person, which is found only in a crucified and risen Savior. If we, if you don't get law and gospel straight, or at least you're not tooling around in that area biblically, I, I think you're, you're going to be uh, more easily played and led astray by the cultural forces that come in very often with religious lingo and leading you down a path that is going to uh, manipulate your people and keep them from the very thing that God's provided to us by his word and spirit in Christ. Yeah. And on law and gospel, to get into that, it's going to be inevitable and it's going to be necessary for people to get into Old Testament law Mm -hmm. and civil law. Our confession talks about the general equity of the civil law and Westminster Confession does as well. And there's still, especially in reform circles, there's this, I don't know, there's this false um, debate happening over theonomies. As soon as you say something about Old Testament law as it relates to society, you're a theonomist. And to me, that's so silly, and it's avoiding the actual necessary conversation. If you go back and track some of the things we've addressed, it has been Old Testament law that has helped us navigate them. I remember all the way back to the abuse thing. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of confusion about abuse, and we cited an Old Testament law, an Old Testament standard that said you don't return a runaway slave to its master, uh, to his master, and how that applies to this case and provides wisdom for 
for such a case. When we looked at Ahmad Arbery, we considered Old Testament law that you don't execute a thief. And by seeing that standard in the Old Testament, that's going to shape the way that you go about your, your life um, and that, that's and these general things. equity. General equity. Those laws. And pastors need to get into that and understand, at least to chart the main landscape, you are not going back and taking those Old Testament civil laws and cut, copy, paste, dropping them down in our new covenant times and mm-hmm. saying that this is exactly how we should operate. But that's, I, I don't really see that being a big problem hey, right we're not, now. We're not in danger we're, of that. We're, we're just, <laughs> just pay attention to it. And Admit there is one, there is law. There, there are standards <laughs> back spoken, there yeah. that as you, as you read them, you'll grow wise yeah. and say, this is how it's worked in the Old Testament. And what is the wisdom there? What is the equity of, of those standards? Because you're going to come over here. So remember the reparations restitution. Mm-hmm. This is a Another one, we were looking at Old Testament law, and we said, well, here's what reparations are, and here's what restitution is, and here's the limits of restitution. You don't see restitution um, going generational. You just don't see it. And reparations, by all means, is exactly what it's doing. And so by paying close attention to, to the Old Testament law, you'll be in a good position. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's think about uh, home life. You know, man, you're raising seven kids. So um, how have you shepherded your family through this time? Uh, and not just the, the COVID-19 stuff, but what's happened the last week or two with the, the death of George Floyd and the aftermath with all the rioting. Yeah. Um, the, the first thing is we have a spirit in our home that remembers that Jesus is king and that he has died and that he has risen again. And therefore, there is great joy and there is great confidence that though we see craziness going on in the world and, hey, we could all die tomorrow. Bad guys could come and kill everybody. Um, it, so what? It's like mm. Jesus is Savior, Jesus is King, and uh, so the vision of them being arrows is something that is a symbolic representation of the way that we do all of our child rearing. Okay, you know? let me stop you right there, because that's huge, and that substructure. Yeah. You know, you, you didn't start doing that last week. Right. So this is something that as a, a theological, philosophical conviction, you've tried to incorporate into your home, and that's, that's huge. You know, we are Christians and so our homes are Christian homes. They're being led by people who've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. And little ones have been given to us to be raised up and to be evangelized and to be nurtured and discipled for the arrows to be sent out into the world to accomplish good and godly purposes. So how, give us, uh, you know, like a, a elevator speech on what you do consciously to try to create that spirit of the Lordship, the goodness of Jesus Christ in your home. Um, well, my wife cooks lovely meals. That's one big thing. So there's going to be, how does that, how does that show? Because it's feasting in the home. And so everybody's looking forward to pagans can feast. Uh, well, they can feast, but they can't feast appropriately. Okay. How do you do it appropriately? They can't feast in faith. And one of the things that Christians often neglect is that, you know, we're a part of the world. Here, here's, here's what a good meal looks like. Um, and then, so we gather around and we sing the doxology when we begin to eat. Mm-hmm. And then we raise our glasses and cheers because Jesus is king. And then we enjoy the food that he has given us and the drink that he has given us. And while we do so, we just start to talk about whatever's going on. Um, during that time, we'll catechize them and we're going to read scriptures and we're going to say the Apostles' Creed together. I mean, how can you really say the creed, uh, you know, and, and, and end up lame and end up like downtrodden? Um, you can't. And so showing them the genuine article very often is the way to set them up to see what the world looks like. We are very, very open um, about talking about what's going on in the world. So um, I'm sure there is a way to be to be too open with children. We say, sure. well, they're just children. Uh, one of the things is it's kind of like the birds and the bees. If I can bring up birds and bees, I think most parents thinks think that we need to get a, we a parental have, warning. Yeah, parental <laughs> warning disclaimer. When are we going to have the talk? Right? You know, when are we going to have the talk? It's like. No, it, it's layered. Like, <laughs> yeah. don't wait until they're a certain age and then right. sit down and just hit them with everything. Exactly. But ta- you're providing a theology. Same thing with technology. When are we going to give them the iPhone? Well, they need to learn how to exercise dominion over the iPhone. But you've got to be preparing them now. Like you, you do that before you give it to them. Right. So what does self-control look like and, uh, and, and et cetera, et cetera. 
So we're doing the same thing with what's going on in the world. I'm not showing them the video of George Floyd having his life snuffed out, but we're talking about what happened. Mm -hmm. This is exactly what happened. Now we're talking about what what law would require. And I'm forced back to this Old Testament law that we talked about and understanding the new covenant and understanding the forgiveness of sins and what should happen. What would justice look like in this situation? Um, So we'll run those scenarios very often over dinner and be willing to talk about all of those things in the context of talking about Scripture, singing psalms. Mm-hmm. We sing psalms in our home. Um, so there's yeah. a, at least a few things. So that's substructure, and that needs to be going on all the time. And, and uh, man, um, you know, I, I'm afraid that that's not being done in a lot of our Christian homes, and we need to try to incorporate just basics that 200 years ago, 300 years ago, would have been taken for granted, but today is largely lost. Then, then practically speaking, I think as a husband, a father, we need to take note of where our those under our care are emotionally mm-hmm. and spiritually. So, I mean, my wife and I have had lengthy conversations over the last uh, several weeks, beginning with COVID-19 and continuing into the, the uh, death, death of George Floyd and now the aftermath of that. And she processes things differently than I do. Uh, she's a nurse by training, so she's very scientifically minded. She understands things that I'll never understand about how viruses work and all. And so she did a lot of research on this, and the things that she saw made her very alarmed at the beginning of this COVID-19 stuff. And we, you know, I'm not so... Uh, You're a Texan. Yeah, you know. <laughs> but we had great conversations. It was wonderful. But part of my responsibility as a husband is to shepherd her recognizing God put her together the way she is, not the way I am. Mm -hmm. And there's no shame in that. And I don't need to make her into uh, my image on this, but learn from her. So she had concerns about the the way the virus might spread since it's novel. Nobody understands everything about it, especially at the beginning. And just said, man, I'm concerned when you're out among people and you come back home and she has some uh, medical issues that kept her from being out too much in the beginning. Uh, you know, would you mind when you come home, just taking your clothes and put them in dirty clothes, get a shower before, you know, you come in and start engaging. My wife makes me do that every day. Well, but I don't, I don't blame her. I don't blame her. <laughs> put in the clothes in the laundry. Yeah, but I mean, you usually didn't do it right after I came in the door. Yeah, right, right. So those types of things and being careful and going out and shaking hands and all of that. But along the way, I mean, she, because of her medical experience and all and looking and seeing how the medical experts said this on Tuesday and said something contrary on Thursday, began to understand, wait, there's more going on. Well, I'm cut that way anyhow to try to think, why are people saying what they're saying and what's going on here? Mm-hmm. And was able to help her connect some dots on that. Um, but giving her the freedom to express concerns, fears, ask questions without saying, you know, look, I see this completely differently and what you're doing is, is unbelief. Not, not that at all. And, and then it has been necessary on more than one occasion for my wife just to disengage from media. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're watching the television, it doesn't matter if it's MSNBC or Fox News, or you're plugged into social media and you're being bombarded. Well, I mean, it'd be nice, wouldn't it, if all we got from the news was just the data. But that's not true. We're we're being given an agenda. Especially it's, now. Absolutely. It's just like, it's, I'm concerned about that. I mean, I highlight that. It's the... it's. It's funny the the way this new religion's facing. These have become pulpits. Yeah, these are pulpits, and I, I'm I'm telling you, I'm increasingly concerned about how how people are. You know, Don Lemon's on CNN, and I'm watching. I'm like, dude, this is sermonic. This is not. <laughs> this is not anything about like what actually happened in the world. Thomas Jefferson uh, once said, you know, the man who doesn't read the news is more informed than the man who does read the news because he was getting into all the disinformation. Even Jefferson mm. back then, and now it's just bombarding us today. One one other thing I would highlight is, is have conversations with your wife, if you're, you know, and wives have conversations with your husband about what hierarchy and equality that those, those two dimensions look like in your home. Mm-hmm. Uh, because my wife and I had a recent conversation. We had a nice long conversation about the color of band-aids, right? So the color of band-aids are the color of maybe a, a person with like whitest tannish skin that's part of what's involved in your invisible knapsack by the way exactly it's peggy mcintosh so i go back and we're like peggy mcintosh here's what it is and i said you know shame that we do this thing in our culture we write left hand to right left to right and how those left-handed people have to rub their ink you know every time they do i mean what a what a shame right but what you're dealing with there is actually this idea of of usefulness, helpfulness, order, structure in the world. I need a certain tool to do a certain job, right? We need certain people doing certain things that they have a good capacity, they're capable of doing uh, over against this equality principle. And so 
make sure your home is striking those. There's there's an idea of biblical hierarchy, and there's an idea of biblical equality. And so we do this with our kids. You know, um, you know, we sit down and people all get the same kind of meal. It's like equal. Okay, here's everybody's drink, everybody's meal. We we appreciate biblical equality. We don't make little you know a little fuller go without dinner. You're going to go without dinner tonight, just to remind you that the world's tough. I'm like, no, we don't do that. But when there's other things where we can signal there is there are differences, and we know what those. I mean. I got a lot of kids, so they're like, they're like, what about him? What about her? What about him? I mean, I know what that's like, you know. So, yeah, you know, little little one got two pieces of candy, and you got one piece of candy, you know. And I don't, we don't have to justify all of that. Part of it's because you got a smaller belly. Part of it's because I just want to do, and Daddy owns all the candy in the house. I mean, so trying to signal to them, preparing them for the world that they're entering. Mm-hmm. And one of the things about this worldview is this is rampant equality. And that's it's started in the home. Everybody gets a medal. Everybody gets an honor. And then we've done that in our police force. So one of the problems, we have far too many people that are policemen that shouldn't be policemen because we've had the idea of everybody having to have the same standard. And so showing that to your family as you raise them up. Yeah. So monitoring what their intake is, you know, monitoring their their uh, uh, social media intake. And by that, I don't mean, you know, you set a timer on it, but just Talk to them about it. Talk to your wife. Talk to your kids, especially age appropriate with your children, man. Don't don't set them in front of a screen and let that screen disciple them. Know what they're doing at all times and know what the content is and the way the content's being packaged because everything comes from a worldview. Nothing. They're, your children are being discipled 24-7, and, and you want to do the best you can to make sure that you're the one doing the majority of the discipling and that you know who else is having access to them in those other times. So the, the media today, and I saw a meme that said the, the uh, news used to tell you what happened and then you had to decide what to think about it, because now the news tells you what to think about it and you have to decide whether or not it happened. Exactly right. And we just were being discipled all the time. So monitor that and go on fasts, man. Fast from the media and spend the time that you would have spent on social media in front of a television screen just reading the Bible, praying or thinking clearly. Uh, go sit outside. And we've, we've done this a lot. Just go sit in the sunshine. It's supposed to be good against COVID-19 anyway. But just listen to the birds and pay attention to God's world. That is valuable. It reminds you that, yeah, there is a ruler in this world, and he's created it, and he's ruling it for good and godly purposes for his people and his glory. And take comfort in that. Uh, certainly praying for and with one another in your home is valuable. I mean, what you're saying about the spirit of your home being just Christ-centered and uh, we. We have the king of all kings who shed his blood for us. So we have zero reason on our worst, most fearful day to give in to despair. Doesn't mean we don't, don't do it, but whenever we find ourselves going there, all the things that we knew to be true that we celebrated the day before are still true and still are worthy of celebration. And the fight of faith is to come back and take God at his word and believe what he says rather than giving in to everything that you're being told to think and believe and how you ought to feel. Yep. A final thought before we sign off here, um, encourage your, in, in your home, love your family, love your neighbors, love your church. And this still social, we're going to have to get used to social media. It's the world that we're living in, but it can be pleasantly uh, harmonized with a life where you're actually around people, looking them in the face, talking to them, um, realizing that so many of the problems that we are taught through this faulty ideology go away. They vanish when we just Mm -hmm. like cook a meal for your neighbor and take it over and say, Hey, we were just here in the neighborhood. Wanted to say hi and drop this off or do some cookies or have somebody in your home for a meal. When we do that, we find everybody's just refreshed. Do yeah. this with church folk, have them over, love on them. It kind of makes the nonsense um, vanish. When yeah. That happens. Normal means of grace, ordinary means of grace should never be underestimated. Thanks again for listening to The Sword and the Trowel today. Uh, just a reminder that you can get a 1689 Know Your Roots hoodie if you sign up for the FAM in the month of June. Thanks to our Founders Alliance membership for your support and encouragement. And thanks again for listening to The Sword and the Trowel.